0: Welcome to Career Crossroads Uncorked, a series of member chats inspired by good drinks and current talent acquisition trends. Your hosts, Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin break down today's recruiting headlines while reviewing a select beverage of choice with industry leaders and influencers. Join us for a drink in conversation. With,
1: with social media as such, Facebook says, we just want to remind you, remind you of things that you were doing this time last year. And it's like, yeah, wonderful. In the in the the COVID era, you're sending me pictures of when we were out in Sonoma. <laughs> right,
0: thanks for rubbing it in that I'm I'm not out at the vineyards. Thanks for rubbing it in that I'm not in uh, London or Paris or Japan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, and,
1: and and to add insult to injury, uh, this was my wife and I's five year wedding anniversary, which oh. also got got dashed a bit by by COVID. So. <laughs> Bummer. We're, we're on a rain we're on a rain a rain check. Oh man, sorry, I'm a, I'm a little bit late.
2: I just oh. thought I would. Join you by telling you I've got Walt. Ah. awesome, awesome. I could Count not. Away. I not get Walt. I'm good. And you got. I could not
0: get Rex. Is that? Rex oh, Hill. you got
1: a Walt too. Yeah. No, I got. Yeah, I got. I got Walt. I got
0: Walt. I I do not. I am the outlier today. I couldn't. Ironically, I am near Sonoma. I could not get Walt. Uh, but I have a Gary Ferrell, uh, which is a Sonoma County Pinot, 2017, well ranked. So now I'm pouring it. We waited for each. But Jerry, Jerry doesn't even wait. Look at him.
2: I I was on TalentNet and I had to manage a conversation about I don't know some bullshit. And, so, uh, but it was good. It was a good conversation. And uh, then I said, you know, I gotta leave.
0: And I had already opened the bottle. Well, let me. Can I? I want to call this out before we do a little toast. So hold your glass up. Look at your glass. These are called COVID pours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we never poured wine this heavy when we were before COVID. <laughs> so, some, some of us may have. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm very concerned with think to, that it's grown. Yeah, I'm very concerned <laughs> we get back to the bars. And some we're going to order a drink and it's going to come out it's going to be a tiny little what we're used to it's going to be like we'll have to order triples in order to yeah, just no it'll mean. it'll
1: it'll probably be quadruples because they'll be they'll be trying to make, make up for lost time so their pores will be smaller than they would have been
0: Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is save me a trip. I'm just fill it up and save me a trip. Well, cheers guys. Cheers. Cheers, <laughs> cheers to you. How are you, Walt? I mean not Walt. Just like a bottle, Jerry. admit it. I know. I know it's Yeah.
2: How's Elanco
1: doing? We're doing we're doing well. We're, we're we're doing we're doing busy, which is, uh, is is normal for us. We've had a busy 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 several years, but uh, but we're doing
2: well. Who do we see? Who do we see earlier this week for briefly? Oh, um, Shannon and I had a meet. We obviously we do two or three meetings a week at least. We had one on critical and Tom hmm.
1: reports yeah. to you. Yep, my campus, uh, my campus was there, yeah.
2: and we had yeah. a nice conversation about uh, university relations and some of the issues that we see our members doing in 2021. And I think he was appreciative of it, so it was it was useful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now we are we are we are definitely. Uh, <clears throat> you know, having come off of an an IPO, then launch of Workday, then, uh, you know, major acquisition, you know, we're getting, we're getting close to a point where we're coming out of the other end of the tunnel and we're able to kind of step back far enough to begin to,
2: you know. uh, I think that's great. You're adding a whole bunch of stuff to your resume. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I had forgotten
0: you guys just IPO,
2: (laughs) we moved over here, we acquired a company, I could do anything. Yeah, well and, and all that's been you,
1: you have to remember and it's so funny because I' I've, I've, I've uh, while I've been sort of with the company for 23 years, I've been at Elanco really just three and a half because right. um, I came over to head up town acquisition for Elanco um, at, at the end of 17 because
0: you were Eli, 20, you were Eli Lilly before, that's prior. right that's yeah.
1: right right yep so I started I started there uh, a couple of decades ago but just since 18 like i said we ipo in 18 launched workday in 19 and in, in 20 we you know acquired you know uh, bear animal health and stood up you know shared service centers i mean it's it's been uh, it's been rapid fire but you know that that, that is the elenco way
2: <laughs> it, it's you know it and it it probably it certainly needed you know a different approach i mean lily is just a a huge such a well-known company for, you know, a hundred plus years. I remember going to a couple colloquiums there and they were, Chris, they were one of the original members of, of Career Crossroads. I didn't know that. They go back back to 2002 and they, they had, there was times they took a, a break, but they always came back. So it was, it was always interesting. And we were fascinated by, um, you know the the compound that exists in downtown, you know, it, Indianapolis, it's, yeah. it's in Indianapolis. Yeah, in Indiana, it was just amazing to me that it just takes up this big space in the middle of the downtown. And there's some really great people who on, who have now retired. Why would anybody retire? I have no idea, but but obviously they did. <laughs> and um, it's great. It's good to see. And so, you why did you choose to go with Elanco versus you know staying at Lilly, for example?
1: Yeah, no, great, great, great question. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that uh, that I often talk to people about when I look at Elanco and some of the differences is there is um, you know Elanco is a much obviously smaller smaller organization, uh, very entrepreneurial. Um, and one of the things that you will often see and hear is uh, part of our culture is Elanco moves at a much faster, faster pace. You know, I grew up around, you know, uh, small business owners. You know, my father and you know his brothers and a number of family members have had businesses. When I was in college, I had had uh, my own business. Um, so there is a there is this entrepreneurial component of kind of you know rapid rapid movement. The other, the other thing that, and I, I usually share this when we do new new hire orientation with new hires, I usually do a welcome and I talk about the, the fact that we push decision-making down to the lowest level. So it's a place where you can really, you know, make decisions and see the impact relatively quickly, because as soon as you start, you know, there's, there's not grass growing under your feet by any means. Um, you know, you are pretty quickly able to make decisions and, and really, you know, Lead, lead lead, getting them through and seeing the impact in a relatively short period of time, whereas with a lot of larger organizations, you can do that, but at times it can take take longer to really see it, See it, you know, make uh, a change in the organization.
0: So, I, I mean, I gotta know, I think it's great that entrepreneurism runs in your family, but I gotta know, you, what was your own business that you had when you were in college?
1: Yeah, so uh, little known fact, I actually, um, me along with a number of friends started, uh, uh, we were, we were party promoters. We actually rented out restaurants and nightclubs and bars and, uh, did, did college events. Uh, and that was, that was kind of our, that was our thing. I mean, and we, so it was one of my first big forays into, into marketing and, you know, targeting your audience and, you know, customer experience and, and really owning the whole, the whole bit. Right. And we figured out quickly how many people you needed to get in the door. Yeah. not only to break even, but to, you know how many how many flyers, and this was back in the you know pre pre digital, <laughs> how many flyers you had to get out on the street to get you know the house the house filled.
0: Oh my gosh, I love it. I think cool that's stuff. great.
1: Yeah, but we would rent out all different kinds of venues, and you know bring in lights and sound and security and DJs and um, and you name it. And uh, then we we would we would usually design the the, the promotional stuff ourselves. Work with a you know a print company to, to print them up, and then we we were our, our own you know marketing teams so that we'd get out and promote the heck out of it, and then we'd be there to run the show on the night of the event.
2: That is some hustle. <laughs> now, did you grow up in Indianapolis? No, actually, I'm uh, born and raised uh,
1: in a, a town just outside of Chicago called Oak Park. So Chicago's oh, home.
2: Yeah. I know Oak Park well. In fact, uh, River Forest is where my sister lives.
1: Yeah, yeah, so so born and raised in Oak Park.
2: And she and, and uh, she worked in, I mean, she lived in Oak Park for a while, and there's a, I'm trying to think of a famous architect that's loaded in Oak Park. Um, oh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah. thank you, thank you. He has more stuff in Oak Park than any place else, I believe. Yes.
1: Yep, that's probably about right. And Hemingway, I think, did a did a stint out there as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so I grew up I grew up out there, and actually, uh, before before the last time I moved to the, the Indianapolis area, I was living right downtown in, in what, what they now call the River North area. Got it. Um, but uh, just the near the near north side downtown, right about a, about a, about ten blocks from the Magnificent Mile, that, you know, that everyone's familiar with, Water Tower Mall and
2: Michigan Avenue and all that jazz. Was there an adjustment to getting to Indianapolis? Because it's just much smaller, obviously um, company. Not place. not as much because remember I started I started with
1: um, with our our former parent company twenty three years ago. So so I was traveling back and forth and I was doing sales. I was a a sales rep in Chicago. So I was oh, you were a lot of my career rep. was sales, you know, as a sales rep, I was there for four years. Then I moved ah. to Indianapolis for four years and then went back to Chicago for seven years as a sales leader uh, before getting you know, getting into the HR side of things. So I had really seen Indianapolis kind of grow as a city and transform as a city. Um, so it wasn't as much of a, a, a change for me. Uh, it was the first time for my wife when we moved this last time back in, uh, in 16, 17. Uh, it was the first time she had ever, first time she set foot in Indianapolis when we went house hunting.
2: <laughs> and how was that?
1: <laughs> you know, it was at a time where she was uh, looking to make a, a career change as well. The, a lot, she was a, a teacher in Chicago, and it was at a time where a lot of schools were being closed and hers was one. So the, the timing actually, um, uh, you know, the stars aligned. And right at the time when, you know, we were needing to make a move here, her school was getting closed. So. We moved here and she decided to make a, a career change and, and now she's doing uh, insurance sales so oh, she wow. made a, a, that, is a that is quite that a is change
2: that
0: is quite a big change yeah. Yeah. wow okay Very so cool i know why you picked this wine well not this wine because i don't have the right wine today uh, <laughs> i have but jerry has the white the right wine so tell jerry why you picked it
1: ah so the walt wine actually uh, uh my wife and i actually went to the winery when when uh, right ahead of the career crossroads uh, leadership event that was in sonoma last year oh you're so shitting me. she really? came out early and we we actually made a you know a little vacation of it spent some time out there and then you know she came she came home and then i stayed on for the career crossroads event but while we were kind of touring around sonoma this was one of the the places that we stopped, and uh, the rest is, as they say, history.
0: And we got walt, It's a walt pinot. I don't know why I said it like that. A walt <laughs> pinot. And, and what year? What year is it? Just for the for anybody listening. And one that I've got here is uh, 2013. 13. All right, and Jerry. Mine's 2013 also. La Brisa, though.
2: It's a different one than you have, I think.
1: Yeah, mine is a Gaps Crown Vineyard.
2: Yeah. I I actually I like this. This is this has got a nice the the flavor to this is fine. The flavor profile goes down very well. Um you know I don't I, I probably I'm smelling prunes, I'm smelling weird shit, but it's it's good. I'm. Um, I, I. I can enjoy this, so we're, I appreciate we're, we're that. Big, Thank you.
1: You're you're very welcome. We're we're big fans of uh, Pinot Noirs from Willamette Valley, um, mm-hmm. but but when we had this one, this was one that we we took to, uh, so we we we've added this into the rotation.
0: Good. So my my um, compromise because I couldn't get Walt, uh, I got the Gary Farrell, uh Pinot, which is also it's actually uh, Russian River, mm. which. We were we all went to russian river together uh, for the for the event which was kind of fun uh but mine's pretty good and it's like super fragrant like the minute i opened it i was like yeah hurry, hurry up and dial it because now it's making me crazy can- but it's really good but i taste raspberries in mine mm-hmm. which is weird because i've never tasted raspberries in my wine before
2: well there you go. It's always the it's first. There's a
1: first. There's a first for everything, and I'm, I'm happy I, I was able to be a part of, of, of one for you, Chris.
2: Well, that's good. We <laughs> no, we we enjoy these things. This is this is great. So it's an opportunity to get to know people a little bit better. In relation to what's going on, and um, and it always helps to inform us in terms of what people are, you know, facing into. What what kind of challenges are you seeing for you know next year? Yeah, you know. As um, you know, as I alluded to a little bit, uh,
1: as as we look at next year, um, because the last few years have been just rapid fire, big. I mean, big, big change. Um, as we look at next year, I mean, we are. Uh, Looking at relooking at our candidate experience, we're relooking at our onboarding globally, right? Because our footprint has also changed as we acquired Bear Animal Health. I mean, we we you know yeah. we were six thousand people globally. That's a, that's with, a pretty
2: big uh, acquisition, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we were six thousand people, and you know we acquired four thousand, um, or about four thousand. So I mean, it was not that's a small cool. acquisition. And I think I think they say that. Um, it's, our acquisition was one of very few, if, if not one of the first that uh, was done in such a short period of time after IPO. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know in good elenco form, I mean we're we're tra- we're trying to trailblaze and, and do do new and exciting things. Um, but I think as we look at the new year, I mean there's a lot that we've got to step back and and, and look at as we continue to work through um, through the uh, you know, The integration, the the full integration into the culture of of our new employees that have come come into the fold. Uh, So we'll we'll be looking at the onboarding, you know, global onboarding, and what that looks like. We are uh, really looking at uh, the candidate experience of kind of across the, you know, across the entire continuum and beginning to really pull out and uh, centralize outside the U.S. the recruitment work that you know historically we've had HR business partners who who kind of played both roles and we're starting to centralize some of that work and have more dedicated focus recruitment. That's great. Um, you know, we just also launched uh, or are in the midst of launching US uh, Smash Fly as our CRM and talent, you know, talent community. So we'll be getting into some recruitment marketing stuff uh first in the US and then we'll be looking to, to scale that. So there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot we're looking forward to. Um,
2: and that's, uh, that's super. Are you in the Ken experience? Have you participated in the, in the candies that much? No, we haven't yet. Um, but that,
1: that is, that is, that is the, that is the the, the end game. That's the point um, is that i I'm, I'm working to get us you know queued up to begin to do that. And one of the, one of the things that, um, we had done prior to our IPO was we had with our former parent company, kind of a, a, uh, a routine, you know, uh, survey mechanism in place. So we had a really good sense of that. As we as we IPO'd and separated, um, we've, we are now kind of standing up a new survey mechanism so that we can get back into that rhythm of collecting, uh, collecting that data and, and really getting into it so that we can focus where we choose our yeah. shots to improve the experience so that we can also uh, jump in and uh, I'm I'm keen to get us into the I think candy. I
2: think in the long run you you certainly need to focus in on what you can do internally year yeah. in year out because uh, that 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 informs you about your improvement or change yeah. but there's there's an extraordinary value in setting a baseline yep and, and so I can only encourage that the earliest that you can get in to get a baseline, even if it sucks. <laughs> and we have friends. Oh, Chris I know. and I have some really good friends in our space whose baseline really sucks. Um, and There's a shitty baseline, the and, first time. Right? <laughs> <And, laughs> the point is. You can get massive improvement, then you know, with just a few things. So, you don't want to wait until you're no. until you're at a point where people love you. You wanna, you want, you wanna, you wanna know what the reality looks like at this level, yeah. and then and then go. Okay, so now we've learned a few things. We need to focus in on these two practices so that yeah. we at least share, you know. Uh, with everybody who applied that we're not moving
0: forward or something to that effect, you know, Curtis, you know, this means you have to pause all the work that you're doing right now. Don't make it. <laughs> don't do any brand work, put it all on pause, go ahead and get a benchmark and then turn everything back on. So you can see <laughs> the reasons why you crushed it. Here's the, here's the case study though. I and mean, let me
2: tell you, this is coming because Chris, Chris just did a brief uh headline on this issue but I've now gone to three different uh workshops and webinars in the last last couple of weeks but the SEC is now going to require of all public firms yeah starting with 2021 every quarter when they submit when your company submits their financial Uh, data to the sec they now have to include dozens of human capital metrics i have to tell you this is to me this is going to blow the game out of proportion because the ceo is clueless the ceo will definitely say what what do you mean we have to supply this and he's gonna run. He or she is gonna run down to the CHRO and say, "What about you know uh, um, um, time to fill critical hires?" And and the CHRO has gone. I don't know if we're collecting data on that. I don't even know if we've got good data on that. I'm gonna to have to get back to you. And th- then they're gonna to come to you, and they're gonna go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> "Wait well, how?" Have- how does it go? What are they going to do? <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you, here's, here's the thing. I've seen an extraordinary presentation in which, looking at human capital um, ROI, which is a different set of metrics, but still a part of this, um, they are now strongly connecting um, the investment up and down of human capital metrics yeah. to the future performance of IBITDA. Mm. And, and now you got the CEO's you know attention. It's like your performance is going down on the next two quarters because this is what your investment's been in, in hiring better people. And in training people or upskilling people, yeah, and and you better be fricking invest more in these things if you want performance of the company to move that that direction. I think this is a game changer, yeah. and empowers those who start studying this stuff to be able to make better cases. You know, as an entrepreneur. You know, making the case that if we invest more in this, according to these kinds of calculations, we should see a better performance in Alanco long term. That's right. I think this is cool stuff. No, I think so. I think that I think that you hit it right on the
1: head. I think that that that, that added added t- added attention and, yep. and link and yep. linkage to uh, EBITDA is going to uh, really elevate and illuminate the work that I mean, I agree. All have really helped to, to to champion for a long time.
0: Yeah. 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 That's very cool. It came, it came quickly, at least on my radar, like it hit quickly. Like I didn't know there was even a rumbling of that coming until the, until the article was shared. Uh, and then we did the recommends article or the headline on our site, but I, I didn't even see that coming. Did I mean, did either of you see that or, or hear rumblings of that before it was announced? Well, so so it's been in the works
2: at ISO for many years but but the ISO suppresses the results of what they do in order for people to buy it. So it's not it's not really resulted in much the one the one thing that did happen maybe six or seven years ago is that Jeremy Shapiro who's now at um, Merck. Yep. Headed up an ISO team that in, that built HR metrics that would have financial implications, mm. and then published um, uh, that as a draft. And a group of HCHROs sued Sherm that was overseeing this to oh, Sherm. to suppress it. Because they said that wasn't the responsibility of this kind of a group. Oh wow! And Sherm caved, and they and they basically sent Jeremy out on his way. In effect, mm. Mm. Um, and that was six, seven, eight years ago. And the implications are, you know, a lot of people don't want to be measured, and there's a bunch of assholes out there that just don't want to in- integrate what they do with what the business is about. And I believe fundamentally that if we do it right, we're gonna find that doing the right things actually adds value. And and moves the needle that you wanna move. And moves the needle that we wanna move. And I think, you know, I think the pandemic is also showing that, 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 you know, people are rethinking, you know, what is a job in relation to your life and your career? And we want to have a balance around those kinds of things, and I do think that more and more candidates of quality will make better choices if we supply them with better information. And I do think that that's that's kind of the path that we should all be moving
1: down. So, what what do you what do you think will happen from a a, uh, a corporate real estate perspective? Ooh, right, because I know yeah. everyone's everyone's trying to sort out right the the future of work, right, and and what that looks like. Um, what what do you, you know, if there, you have your crystal ball? What do you what do you think happens with uh, with the, the corporate real estate?
0: There's a there's an interesting company uh, here in Silicon Valley. Uh, I don't know if I can share this or not, so I won't name who it is. But it, in their facilities, obviously, everybody's working at home, and so what they've done is sort of reconfigured the the property so that when you would normally have an offsite meeting they have they have now redone the property so that when teams want to come together they can do an on-site and it's very it's pandemic friendly if that's actually a term right and it's safe for them but they've they've reconfigured the building as sort of a gathering place in a safe way that to collaborate, but not to work. Right? They don't have it set up to sit down and do work in the cubies and the cubbies and the offices. But more of a place to do your on with the on-site meetings type of thing. I think that's yeah. kind of interesting. I think
2: um, I've been accused of not caring too much about business, but um, I, I like to work backwards from where the the choke points are. So when you when you think about it, a bank. Gave Google a billion dollars to build this massive structure, if you will, or under underwrote uh, the company in New York that built a building or that owns the building in which Ernst and Young is in. That kind of thing, you know. So, so banks banks are built on the basis that they believe that somebody's going to be able to pay the mortgage. And and then inside those buildings are people who are paying per square foot for the use of that space that should be making money. And this pandemic and beyond is going to change that calculation significantly. There's no way that you can have as many people in a New York skyscraper. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. You just can't. Yeah. And, and so the productivity of those people is going to be different per square foot, if you will, than it was in the past. And somebody at some point, the banks are going to have to re recalculate what the value is of that building. Mm. And, and some of those buildings are not going to be that that that, that um, viable because their mortgages are higher than what they are worth, mm. and at that point something's going to have to give. That's but but there's no question that corporations like Ernst and Young and others who have these buildings, they don't necessarily own the building, but they're paying money. They're not going to pay as much money. They're going to re—they're going to put more money into the building to make it more usable by the people who do use it, mm-hmm. but the productivity won't be the same, and therefore they're not going to want the same rates. Well, and I think that'll
0: take a decade—a decade at least—to solve. I think that a cousin of that issue or that challenge for, that I think is super super interesting is the the pay gaps, and the market value we see on talent in different areas, like what an engineer makes in Silicon Valley versus Boise. I mean, like, I that's what's fascinating to me because employers are saying that they're finding out that they now have employees when they didn't have a remote workforce before, they told them to go work at home, and they have found out that their employees have sold their homes and moved to these places where the, right, where the cost of living is so much less and they just didn't know, right? So productivity aside, I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens from a from a pay analysis of like, do, do we get to a point or do we get one step closer to the point where this is how much a software engineer makes. Oh yeah. You're where you want to live. You figure out where you want to live, but you got to tell us where you live, but this is what you're going to make no matter what. That's- well, I, I, abs- I absolutely
2: agree with you, Chris, and I'm I'm convinced that, you know, it, like if you take an Alanco or Lily or, you know, Jane J or anybody, there are a variety of different types of jobs. And obviously some of those jobs require that you to come to a lab, a place where physically we have to work together, et cetera, et cetera. And I get that. And, and that's probably not going to change in terms of how we evaluate those. Although the space might be, be changing a little bit in terms of what we now know. But there are huge numbers of jobs, maybe 20 to 30% of, of the jobs that are out there, something in that order, where you could literally work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and for those jobs, at some point, we should learn what the base value of that job is. And then, if we want them close enough so that we don't spend money on them traveling, uh, and we say you have to live within a commutable range of X, and you can work three days a week at home, but two days a week you come in and engage people, et cetera, because that's that's our profile of how we want to engage from a cultural point of view. Then, then it's a base plus plus something related to the cost of living in that area. Mm. I and, say and ask maybe the it's cost more of living. for Silicon Valley, you know. That's the I, cost of living. No. Normalize. Normal, if you if you tell me that my job is worth 100,000 and I can work from anywhere and I decide to work in Peru. Well, you know what? You keep paying me that and I'm going to live like a freaking king. Yeah, and if I were young enough, I might consider that as a possibility for sure.
0: Well, what does that do to the fight for talent? So I'm sensitive to Silicon Valley because I'm sitting here.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, I had a company. I had a company the other day say we'd really like to talk to uh, the, the recruiters at Facebook, Google. They named three or four others in the valley for this particular challenge, and I said that challenge is not specific to these tech companies. Right. It is, that is a bigger challenge. Let's put you in touch with some organizations that are in a bubble from a recruiting standpoint. They don't want anything to do with it. They had It had to be in the sort of tech space. So I feel like this could begin to normalize a lot of that because what happens to the property value? Will California's property value ever tank? No, not until the earthquake and it floats off as an island. But before that, <laughs> right, like it, it could, it could stagnate a little bit when less people have to be out here right 20,000 googlers or 20,000 facebookers or yeah, tw- you it's know whatever on demand right absolutely i mean we see austin is exploding from a, from a growth standpoint it's the next tech hub right i forget what they're calling it but it's like the silicon valley part 2 so i mean what what happens when all of this normalizes and nobody gives a shit where you work yeah it's incredible and and, and you may not
2: pick i mean if if you, if you can work from anywhere and you're 25, 26, 27, and you're a little bit adventurous. Why, why not work for a while from Europe? Why not work for a while from Asia? Or, or you're not, why not get a whole different cultural point of view? Because they have, you know, you could go there and you can afford almost anything. Plus, and you're, and you're also adding to your own wealth because of the differential that you'll find. Why should you why should you give up the opportunity to get some wealth for the the CEO who's who's been trying to get, you know, people in in Mumbai, you know, for a tenth of the salary? And I'm going bullshit. Why should why should they give up their money for your fucking
0: bonus? Yeah. Well, I'm just saying problem. I'm I'm a little bit of a combo. It will but be interesting to good. see because <laughs> we've had companies that the CEO was like, no remote work. If I can't see you, you must not mm-hmm. be productive. Who are now discovering that it's it's it, that's not the case. It's productive. They're beginning to adopt that. But it will be really interesting to see how many of them flip the switch and say everybody comes home. You know, now that we look like looks like we're on the verge of a vaccine. It looks like we're on the verge of, you know, starting to return to a slow normal over the next 300 days, 365 days. Who, which companies say, all right, everybody, come on back in, back to work, and remote work policy is out. <laughs> yeah. And what happens to those companies? Will employers be like, or employees be like, uh, I don't think so. I kind of like working from home.
1: Well I think it I think it'll be it'll be the next the, the next big experiment, right? I mean we, we're in the midst of the first the first one, right? Is what hap- what happens if we're all thrust into virtual virtual work, right? And there's lots of learning. So I think to your point, um, the next big one will be what you just described is there'll be some that'll thrust it back, there'll be some that'll say, eh, maybe not. There'll be some that'll you know do what Jerry said. Hey, we don't care where you are in the world, just you know, go. And then I think we'll
2: find out look there's there's young people who love working in a city like indianapolis or chicago or whatever they want to live and work in the city but because they're young and and perhaps cannot afford you know as much as as what would be there you know they're living in a condo with two other folks who they're not related to who who fundamentally, you know, there's three of them and there's, you know, two bedrooms between them. And the last thing they want to do is spend all day working out of home in in this place. They want to go to a nice um you know office and, and those kinds of things. So we have to have the agility to meet a lot of different kinds of needs out there. Yeah. Sure,
0: it, it, like, uh, it is dumb the price of it. Like For where I'm at now in an 800 square or 1800 square foot apartment, I pay double what I paid for a 4000 square foot home on a lake in Texas. It's it's so hopefully. And so where? Which one are you in? I'm in I'm in California now. (laughs) In the the double the price, half the space. (laughs) Just saying. I'm not saying that. Maybe I'm the dumb one in this equation. Maybe that's what's going maybe on. Maybe it's not. I, mean, I
1: think I think what you just described is the, the what Jerry just mentioned, which is the, the the need to address a multitude of of needs. For sure. Um, you know.
0: Yep. We moved we moved, moved mean, to Indianapolis from real, Chicago. We were, we were downtown
1: Chicago. We moved to Indianapolis. The cost of living in Indianapolis is a fraction of, of downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but we're also, you know, it's a three hour, three hour drive. So any, anything that we that we would want to go back and revisit during times where you could, um it's a hop, skip, and a jump.
0: Yeah, Can but I you're bet- not driving downtown for dinner. That's right. There's a little yeah. bit of a trek for dinner.
1: That, that's Actually, true, except, except, except for the fact that downtown Indianapolis is, is, has grown tremendously. So there, there's a lot, a lot of the, the same types of things that we would go um, and to do Chicago. in Chicago in Indianapolis. The, so, so from that perspective, you know, as, as this city has grown and it's begun to attract you know, very large uh, corporate headquarters and regional headquarter companies, um, with that has come um, a, a bustling downtown area that, that often folks don't realize and, and that's been one of the things uh when we when we would bring people in town and you know have them experience Indianapolis oftentimes they'd be surprised because people have a, a picture in their mind of, of what Indiana and Indianapolis is like and then they get here and and, and usually the, the response is is wow I had I had no idea. Um I had been to been to this city but it's been ages ago. What's well, it's changed tremendously.
0: Yeah. I think Minneapolis I think- my AHA city for that.
2: I went to. Visit I think that's them. great. I think I think cool. also older folks really enjoy the fact that they could sell their you know um, McMansion out in uh, suburbia, and then go go back to a, a smaller operation in because they had no kids, etc. And you know they go to a smaller operation in the city. Where they can walk around, they don't need a car anymore. They don't need a lot of other issues, and it's it's very comfortable.
1: And that is that that's one of the things that that uh, for folks that enjoy what you just described, Jerry. Here, you've got you know major sports arenas all in walkable distance from each other downtown. You've got you know top flight restaurants. I mean, you name it. And if 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 that's if that is the lifestyle that you're looking for, it's very affordable, livable, and walkable. Um, yep. So it's, 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 very, it's, it's very interesting. But then likewise, if you prefer a more suburban you know, uh, setting, that's also not more than 15 minutes. If you want rural, that's also not that far. Um, so you really get a, a, a big mix, which is kind of cool.
0: Good stuff. Well, Curtis, it's wonderful to catch up. You picked a hell of a wine. I didn't get to have it, but but you picked a hell of a wine. I'm anxious to pick it up somewhere not in California because I couldn't find it. <laughs> We're good. All right, guys. That's a wrap, I think. All right. Cheers.
2: Cheers. Cheers.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Career Crossroads Uncorked. Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin look forward to sharing more drinks and conversation with you next time. Until then, cheers.